Hello, I'm Isabel Markham with Private Equity International. Today, we're speaking with Greg Bose of Albright Capital, which has been making value-oriented private capital investments in emerging markets for more than a decade. Albright's investments include telecom towers business Helios Towers, fast-track power provider APR Energy, and duty-free retailer Flamengo Duty Free. Greg will be sharing his views on whether LPs should expect an emerging markets premium, how to think about political risk, and whether economic growth rates and private equity returns are actually correlated. Given your fairly long-term perspective on EM and all the things that have been happening there, what are some of the structural changes that you've seen take place across emerging markets in the last kind of decade or so, and what impact are they having? Well, there's been a dramatic change. Maybe if it's helpful, Isabel, I'll break it down into kind of three categories. The first is long-term evolutionary progress. And the second is medium-term capital shortage, especially for middle market companies outside of Asia. And the third is, in our mind, a very positive cyclical dynamic. And it's very unusual to get all three of those kind of longer-term, medium-term, and near-term dynamics all pointing in uh, what we regard as value investors in a favorable direction. Our perspective is that there's been enormous progress in structural reform over a number of decades, and that the asset class is migrating from a kind of discovery period to a selectivity period. And in our mind, the big demarcation for that was probably the global financial crisis, when emerging market investors had a hard time, and most importantly, all of a sudden the asset class started to show very high correlation with developed markets. And so investors have to adapt. But the volatility has been such that investors currently are wary of the asset class, and it's obscuring some of the really positive developments underlying all that. For instance, creditor rights are improving dramatically and nearly converging with developed markets in many cases. You have a big corporate credit asset class that has developed in the last five or 10 years that really was virtually non-existent before that's now 60% larger than the U.S. high-yield market. You know, bankruptcy codes are in process of being developed. These are all really important positive structural reforms and others. And we think that that gradually improving evolutionary backdrop is being obscured by investors falling victim to the growth narrative and falling victim to plain vanilla deal structures and not necessarily benefiting the way they might from from some of these positive evolutionary changes. You know, a key thing that seems to attract investors to emerging markets is those sort of economic growth rates, those numbers that come out. So but how how much do you find that to be actually playing into private equity returns? We challenge that narrative a little bit. And in our mind, economic growth rates and equity returns are not actually highly correlated. And there's reasons for that. When markets become popular, either individual countries or emerging markets overall, then obviously expectations of growth are priced into initial valuations. And that's kind of the you know, the obvious reason. But another perhaps uh, less obvious reason is that growth requires more capital and more capital is dilutive to equity investors. So for a variety of reasons, we believe there's empirical evidence that these are not highly correlated things. So our view is that, you know, you want to look for, have a value orientation. Now, make it clear, 
when we're in an investment, if we benefit from growth dynamics, that's terrific. But as in all markets, perhaps particularly in emerging markets, given the volatility, investors have to be very disciplined and conscious of the entry points. We do see in emerging markets this kind of rush in of capital and then flood back out again. Certainly markets like Brazil, that's been the case. What is it going to take to get to a more kind of steady state in private equity investing in some of these markets? Well, uh, investors, uh, this is a tendency, uh, I think, across all markets is to overreact to the recent past. And everybody reads the same newspapers and the same headlines, and uh, they go on the same research trips. And it's just been a part of the emerging market landscape for a long time and probably will be for a long time to come, that countries get popular and that popularity brings capital and currency values go up at the same time that asset prices go up. And, and you know, these countries really, it's very, you, the inflows can quickly outstrip the absorptive capacity and you get into a perilous circumstance. Our view is that there's a lot of countries that are on a gradually positive upward trajectory and that there's a sort of a self-equilibrating aspect to structural reform. When times are good and capital's flowing, sometimes these countries lose track of structural reform. And then when there's a crisis, they get refocused. And sometimes there's a new administration or new new regime that comes in with structural reform being uh, a real priority. So the volatility is magnifying what is really a gradual upward trajectory is, is our perspective. I want to ask about country funds versus regional funds versus global funds. Each manager makes a choice on that and stands behind that choice. What, in your view, are some of the pros and cons of each of those approaches? Well, there are deals that are better for country funds, probably, and then there are deals that are better for global investors. We do not believe that we can be value investors and be locked into any jurisdiction, whether that's a country or a region. There's just no assurance that there will be an attractive opportunity at that particular moment in time. And so our view is that the narrower the mandate by geography or by sector actually might have the unintended impact of magnifying the volatility of results. We think that countries that are currently out of favor have lots of good companies and good management teams that are really doing interesting things for a lot of social benefit. And we're looking for those situations where we can really have a lot of impact because we're providing capital perhaps when others are less willing and we're able to solve a problem for the portfolio company with a creative deal structure. And at the same time, you know, create a return profile that might be interesting. We don't think that that's gonna be as possible if we're focused on one particular country or region. How do you source deals? Well, for us, it's a blend of research and purposeful networking. So we've been at this over a decade, and we're constantly out there talking to people about what they see in their regions and in their markets and companies that you know are solving problems in the infrastructure, infrastructure services area. And so for us, there's no shortage of opportunities to invest. The experience that investors have had in emerging markets, the JP Morgan EM Currency Index is down about 40%, a little more than 40% since 2010. That's an enormous headwind for anybody to make money in, you know, in traditional emerging market private equity. So investors have understandably retreated. The development finance institutions are considerably less active. A lot of GPs have had trouble raising follow-on capital, follow-on funds. Again, this is probably less true in Asia and more true in current account deficit countries, and it's probably more true in the middle market than it is in you know larger cap deals. But there's 
really a profound shortage of capital right now. A number of the big players have, uh, have gone out of business recently. And so we're just uh, really struck at the moment by the number of companies, good companies, that are having trouble raising the growth capital that they seek. There's enormous opportunity right now. Um, and, uh, and, you know, our view is that emerging markets are, are so inefficient and volatile that there's always something interesting somewhere. You, but sometimes you have to dig a little deeper, and sometimes it's plainly evident. And uh, this is a moment where the longer-term positive forces and then the, the medium-term fundraising challenges, and, you know, we haven't even touched on, you know, the cyclical aspects, which are uh, this enormous EM corporate credit market is now confronted with the withdrawal of QE in developed markets and a wall of maturities coming up and a backdrop of currency weakness over time. And there's going to be a lot of restructuring work to do. And so, again, this longer term, medium term and shorter term dynamics in our mind are all positive at the moment. You know, political risk is always rumbling in the background of any discussion about emerging markets investing. But it seems to have really kind of flared up this year. We've had certain key elections and, you know, things like the introduction of tariffs on Chinese goods by the U.S. government. So I want to get your thoughts on sort of headline versus reality on the ground. You know, political risk is a, is a broad subject. And we do a lot in infrastructure and infrastructure services. And so we think about political risk. Sometimes we're really thinking about it from the standpoint of, of that particular deal. In general, we think that investors make a mistake to reach a summary conclusion about a particular country and whether it's good or bad. We prefer to think about the management team and the opportunity in a bottom-up way and then do a kind of macro or political risk analysis of that circumstance. Sometimes for fun, we ask people, would you rather be in Poland or the Democratic Republic of the Congo? Invariably, they say, oh, I'd much rather be in Poland because there's a greater degree of familiarity. But we know of investments in Poland that are going quite poorly, and we know of investments in the Democratic Republic of Congo that are going quite well. So the, the headline can be very misleading. And who just got elected and what they campaigned on can be very different from how they actually govern. And the realities of governance are often very different from the rhetoric of campaigning. So we try to avoid overreacting to the recent headlines and to dig deep and try to find people who are building really interesting companies and that we can partner with. To put that really to the test, do you see much of a comeback on the horizon for Russia? Well, one of the cautionary words of advice for EM investors is to avoid strategic assets. And in some countries, the category of strategic assets is a larger universe of the percentage of opportunities, and, and in other countries, it's a smaller percentage of the opportunities. On the one hand, we like infrastructure projects that are solving a social problem and have an a, a important social benefit. On the other hand, we don't want to get involved in assets that are going to be really politically charged or strategic to the host government. So that's a balancing act. In Russia, that's, that's a little harder to avoid strategic assets, but we are aware of some people who have done really well there and who are quick to point out that entry prices are attractive and there's a value story there as well. But you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that we're in situations where we can do a lot of good and not necessarily get in, entangled with the host government and, and you know in negative ways. But um, I'm sure there's significant opportunity in Russia. We would we wouldn't rule it out by any means. 
Do you think LPs are right to expect an emerging markets premium? It's an interesting question. Investors sometimes say, to be in emerging markets, I need a return of X. But they would never say, I need a return of X to be in developed markets. There's a segmentation and there's an, there's an awareness of different risk and return profiles in developed markets. This segmentation is, you know, value versus growth, uh, you know, MES versus equity. You know, there's a, a slicing and dicing of risk profiles. And so investors would respond to 40% of GDP and say, well, it depends. And yet for 60% of global GDP, emerging markets, it seems to be a single line item with a single return hurdle. And we don't understand that. And, and we don't think that's entirely fair. Investors should focus on uh, returns, and they should also focus on portfolio diversification benefits. And they're both important. And they both should be quantified and analyzed and thought about very carefully. But portfolio diversification benefits are just as valuable in some ways as, uh, you know, as high headline returns. We certainly think that some jurisdictions and certain situations justify a higher return hurdle, but we wouldn't apply that to the emerging market landscape as a monolithic sort of answer. It's more, again, bottom up. What's the risk that's being taken here? What's the right return for that? Investors who are making investments in hard currencies are naturally very concerned about volatility in currencies in uh, emerging markets. What do you say to reassure them? They're right to be worried about it. If we look forward, do we think inflation is going to be higher in emerging markets than in developed markets? Probably. If that's the case, then you're probably, there's going to be intermittent devaluations, again, case by case, country by country. And so it has to be part of your asset selection criteria, and it has to be part of your deal structuring to seek to address that. When a country is popular, the currency is at an elevated level, just as the underlying asset values are at an elevated level. And so that's, it doesn't mean there isn't good opportunities in that country, but they're going to be a little harder to find. Certainly, if a company, an infrastructure kind of project has underlying cash flows that are indexed to inflation, you know, that's not going to be a panacea in any short-term horizon. But, it, but over a long period of time, it can be important insulation against currency devaluation. So this year... Emerging markets private equity has been dominated by the story of the Abraj Group. What shadow, if any, has that cast over EM fundraising or has it changed anything in LP due diligence processes that you've seen? I think it, it highlights the importance of manager selection, but that's true in developed markets as well. And there have been some pretty high profile uh, problems with manager selection in developed markets as well. So I, first of all, we don't have any particular insight into the Abraj situation. So uh, we only know what we read. But I think it's easy to overstate the importance to, again, we're talking about 60% of global GDP. And, you know, that was one, albeit a, a large manager, but still just one manager and um, would, would seem to me ridiculous that that would have too much of an impact over people's attitude towards whether there are good assets that are provide portfolio diversification in emerging markets writ large. Hard for me to imagine that. But it is part of the capital shortage story. A large market participant, by all indications, is not as active as they were. Um, so we'll see what the future brings. It's time for me to ask you to do some crystal ball gazing for 2019. What are your predictions? For 2019, this is a really bad answer. I haven't the foggiest idea. 
just some theme, so general comments that perhaps hopefully are, are helpful. I don't think that globalization has come to an end and supply chains are so integrated. And I think that, you know, in the near term, there, there, I think there's considerable opportunity to kind of lean against that particular notion. And that may be manifest in a lot of different ways. Well, Greg, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. That again was Greg Bowes of All Right Capital. Thanks for listening and see you next time.